HK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the new Fed chief, Janet Yellen, goes with continuity in testimony to Congress, but hints at a pivot to inflation as the Fed's number one concern. Markets love the Yellen testimony and recharge their batteries. And the U.S. House of Representatives passes a bill on the United States debt ceiling. In some other news, gold spikes higher. Goldman Sachs says emerging markets are a whole lot better off now than in 1998 when the last crisis hit and Tesla hits an all-time high lifted by hopes for subsidies in China. First, this little tease of this morning's show. Perhaps more uh, emphasis, as I suggested in my tweet, on inflation as opposed to unemployment. She did suggest, uh, you know, that unemployment alone uh, was not sufficient, uh, you know, to change uh, the, the policy rate. So we've got lots of comments uh, in reaction to the testimony, and we, of course, have lots of, of the Yellen testimony itself coming up in just a moment. Our guests this morning include Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, Stuart Aldcroft from City Investor Services, and Enzio von File, founder of MCL Partners, in a pre-recorded interview. So those uh, coming up in just a moment, we'll look at markets all throughout the program, uh, beginning with how they fare now. The Nikkei up 94 points after the holiday yesterday and that's a gain of two-thirds of one percent the nikkei at uh, 14,812 in australia the asx 200 is up 21 points at 52.88 and in seoul the kospi has moved up about one-third of a percent that's a seven-point gain to 1939 in currencies the dollar is trading stronger against the yen so the yen at 102.51 against the dollar means risk on the euro 1.3637 us and boy what a move we've seen in the australian dollar in the past couple of weeks from 86 cents up to 90.15 cents so the australian dollar has been gaining against the us and the pound is now worth 12 hong kong dollars and 75 cents well we're going to play a lot of clips now of janet yellen and the reaction so you know Sit back and enjoy, I hope, because this is a major turning point going from Ben Bernanke to Janet Yellen. So I really want to get a chance for you to get a feel of what she's all about. Ms. Yellen said first that she wasn't very comfortable with current levels of employment. The unemployment rate is still well above levels that Federal Open Market Committee participants estimate is consistent with maximum sustainable employment. Those out of a job for more than six months continue to make up an unusually large fraction of the unemployed. And the number of people who are working part-time but would prefer a full-time job remains very high. And she also noted the slowdown in the housing recovery. The recovery in the housing sector slowed in the wake of last year's increase in mortgage rates. And here was a key line about the possible pivot to inflation. These observations underscore the importance of considering more than the unemployment rate when evaluating the condition of the U.S. labor market. Okay, and then we uh, get also the comment uh, where she starts talking about, uh, about inflation in the U.S. economy. Inflation remained low as the economy picked up strength with both the headline and core personal consumption expenditures, or PCE price index indexes, 
rising only about 1% last year, well below the FOMC's 2% objective for inflation over the longer run. Some of the recent softness reflects factors that seem likely to prove transitory, including falling prices for crude oil and declines in non-oil import prices. My colleagues on the FOMC and I anticipate that economic activity and employment will expand at a moderate pace this year and next. The unemployment rate will continue to decline toward its longer-run sustainable level, and inflation will move back toward 2% over coming years. And essentially, markets liked what they heard from Ms. Yellen because, one, it was continuity. Two, she was rather confident in the economy. And as you heard there, she said that some of the problems that we've seen and some of the slowdown of late, uh, that uh, that may be temporary. And overall, she sees a pickup in U.S. growth. The Dow was up 192 points at 15,994. The S&P 500 up almost 20 points to 1819 and getting within just a percent or two of its all-time high. The Nasdaq up 42 points at 4,000. Now, before we get to our guests, I want to get you some reaction. We've got three heavyweights for you, Gary Schilling and Wilbur Ross from their own firms and Bill Gross at PIMCO. We go first to Mr. Schilling. I think it was a relief uh, more than anything. It was that she said they're going to continue the tapering, that it's steady as you go. Obviously, a new Fed chairman, everybody is wondering, uh, is she going to stumble? But sailed through it smoothly. More of the same. Uh, no problem. Mr. Schilling says the market likes the idea that the Fed is still confident about the economy. It's the good news, bad news is why do they taper? Because they think the economy is strong enough, can handle it. But the tapering is taking away a lot of the fuel that's really pushed up stocks now since uh, March of 2009. Mm -hmm. But right today, I would say those two may trade off, but I, I put more weight on the idea of, of the confidence that she's competent and she did not make any blunders. Now, Wilbur Ross is a kind of debt specialist, distress debt specialist. He would prefer a slightly slower pace of tapering the asset purchases. Perhaps more uh, emphasis, as I suggested in my tweet, on inflation as opposed to unemployment. She did suggest, uh, you know, that unemployment alone uh, was not sufficient, uh, you know, to change uh, the, the policy rate. That there would be a number of factors in terms of employment, whether it's uh, wage gains or hours worked or the jolts data uh, that we saw this morning. In any case, a, a, a future focus, I think, on inflation as a opposed to unemployment and, you know, perhaps down the road something specific relative to a nominal GDP target, but she made no reference to that. All right. Well, that was Bill Gross tweeting about the pivot to inflation. You'll just have to trust me that Wilbur Ross did say that he would prefer something like $5 billion a month and let it extend out a little bit longer. Let's go back to Mr. Gross. He was asked why, despite all the QE, uh, that inflation hadn't picked up and why there was no wage price spiral. Wages are affected uh, you know, significantly by globalization. That means, you know, outsourcing to Mexico and to China in terms of cheaper labor markets. You know, also affected as well by um, technology, in which uh, you know the machine basically is taking place of uh, humans, and affected by d demography as well. So, you know, getting wages up from a one and a half percent annual gain to perhaps two and a half to three percent, you know, it is the target I think for the. 
fed, you know, that will put them on not on easy street, but a more level plane in terms of uh, you know, forecasting the, the future of the economy and the future of spending power. Uh, so we're going to have to see wages increase from, you know, this very, very low level going forward. And many of the problems, as uh, she was asked, you know, appear to be structural as opposed to cyclical. So we'll discuss that with our first guest, uh, Barry Wood, in just a moment. The structural problem of unemployment versus a cyclical one. Just wanted to briefly tell you how Europe responded. They liked what they heard, too. And amidst all the other factors, uh, the FTSE 100 was up 81 points to 66.72. That was a gain of 1.2%. The DAX in Germany up 2% and the CAC up 1% in Paris. So good morning now to Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Barry. Good thank, morning, Brian. Thank you for um, – we got a double dose of gross uh, with him on Monday and uh, today and you too. But nice to um, to get your feel on uh, Ms. Yellen's testimony. Uh, it seems that listening to people that she pulled it off pretty well. Oh, I think she did. She was articulate. She was deliberate. She was certainly uh, well informed. She made no mistakes. She stressed continuity, all the things that the others and you have said. But I think that in over three and a half hours, it was a very positive and very strong initial performance. Did she seem to have the goodwill of the congressman and others um, asking her questions? No doubt about it. They liked her. And, you know, the interesting thing about the House Financial Services Committee, it has 59 members. Now, not all of them were there and asking questions, but there were certainly more than 40. And most of them did have very strong welcoming words for Ms. Yellen, and she seemed genuinely touched by many of those greetings. So let me ask you then, does it mean that the correction in emerging markets and the correction in the developed markets is over for the time being? You know, I think it could mean that. It's a pity that she wasn't asked that question. She had one reference only, Brian, to international economies, and uh, she simply said that, you know, we were not terribly affected by what's happening in the emerging market. That was as far as that went. But as to your question, I'm not sure, but certainly the market has bounced back. And if that is the case, that it's run its course, then we had a 6% decline, and now we've bounced back. We're not back at the records, but it's been a very impressive four-day run. And the House passing the measure on the debt ceiling indeed is good news, I would imagine, to markets. Uh, I think I heard you say earlier on Hong Kong today that that may have already been baked in. Oh, I think so. And I think it was in the market. You know, the uh, Speaker of the House, John Boehner, had some problems. He had, uh, again, a kind of mini-rebellion in his ranks from the Tea Party people. So he had a deal he was going to put forward, but instead he pulled that deal away, and they voted just on this, which meant that many Democrats had to come forward. They did. So I think this was in the market. It uh, puts this issue behind us at least for another 12 months. So that's good news. Okay, so that is crossed off the list. Um, The Fed chief possibly stumbling in her first uh, testimony can be crossed off the list. Uh, She seems she did okay. But you still have an economy that seems to be sputtering. Uh, You looked at the housing data. Yes, prices were higher, but in fewer cities than before. Unemployment is still not um, coming down. Um, You know, if you look right across the board at it as much as people would like. And, yeah, the manufacturing, the services, okay, but not great. Where are we in the recovery? 
Well, I think you're right. It's good news, bad news, and it's certainly not strong. And that was what Miss Yellen was saying as well. But certainly it was interesting, Brian, in the context of the economy. Many of the members of Congress from urban districts, the black members from, say, St. Louis, Miami, Houston, Los Angeles, they put questions about the unemployment rate and what are you going to do about it, Madam Chairman? She couldn't, of course, give them any satisfaction. But if you look at the unemployment rate and add in those who are discouraged, you do get, and she conceded this, you get about 17% unemployment. So it's not by any means a strong uh, job situation. And we've got all these people dropping out of the labor market, you know, labor participations at a 35-year low. So I agree with you, but I still say the economy in the United States is growing at a 2 to 2.5, even 2.7% annual rate even with the bad job data the last two months. Okay, so that's enough on the economy and uh, the Fed. I, I don't know why the markets rallied as much as they did. Uh, maybe no news is good news. Uh, what else are you following at the moment? Anything else catch your eye in the last day of uh, trading? Well, I think that it's uh, very important to keep an eye on these uh, fragile five economies. It's very interesting that the Turkish economy, their currency has bounced back a bit. The South African currency has bounced back a bit. There are positive things being said about India. I think that uh, it's the emerging markets that have got my attention right now. It's interesting that other things seem quite stable. You know, the, uh, the big currencies, their exchange rates are stable, the dollar yen, the dollar euro. So that and, of course, what we've just had with Miss Yellen, which will be repeated on Thursday. All right, Barry, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. And we turn now to Stuart Aldcroft, City Investor <laughs> Services. Stuart, good morning to you. Good morning, Brian. So we're just uh, finishing there talking a little bit about uh, emerging markets. Uh, and Barry said that he would keep a close eye on them. Um, we did see China come back from holiday, and uh, the markets performed pretty well. Uh, the PBOC says expect some volatility in uh, in money market rates. The market handled that. Uh, you had uh, the president saying, look, the low-hanging fruit has been uh, picked. We're going to have uh, more significant reforms that are going to be a little more hard to stomach. The market seemed to handle that. Where, where do you think we are now in the emerging markets? Well, the American, the emerging market is actually relatively cheap to the developed markets. Um, but I think that the developed markets will probably provide – uh, more stability on a relative sense than than the emerging markets. So are you still quite keen on the U.S. over, say, uh, markets out here in Asia? Well, I, it, you know, I look at what you do with a balanced portfolio, and if, you put, if you've got a balanced portfolio, you'd still probably put more into the developed markets like the U.S. and Europe, perhaps Japan, than you would into emerging markets. Emerging markets are going to be volatile. By their nature, they are volatile. The, the obvious issue is when do you buy them? And, and the timing to buy them needs to be very carefully refined. You know, if you'd been out buying into the US or Europe last week, you'd be sitting very nicely right now because the markets have bounced up very sharply. And that's the opportunity that investors need to be taking. You know, Microsoft got way overvalued and hence over 10 years, it, uh, it I think it was selling for 150 times earnings. And so for 10 years, the stock price didn't go anywhere. And now you've got it priced at about 12 times earnings. And now it's starting to move. It's starting to move up. Uh, 
in emerging markets, um, you know, and China hit in 2007, these mega highs, and it's been selling off ever since. Are we getting close? I think uh, as a buying opportunity? Yes. Uh, yes, I think, I think we are. Um, I think that we could expect to see that a number of these emerging markets, Brazil, Indonesia, uh, and others, they could be sitting very high by the end of this year, but it's not going to be a comfortable ride. I think you, you, you could find that it goes up very sharply, goes down very sharply. You're going to worry about it a lot. But at the end of the year, you might be sitting on a quite a tidy profit. Well, you're a funds guy, so yeah, would you quite. would you recommend people look at mutual funds, unit trusts instead of buying uh, stocks? Well, yes, of course I would, Brian, because you know if you if you buy funds, what you do is get someone to to manage it professionally for you if it's through a mutual fund, or you're buying an index if you're buying an ETF. Uh, either way, it's got to be better than buying an individual stock unless you know something more about the stock. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hong Kong. I had a discussion with Sean Darby yesterday from Jefferies about a lot of money that has been loaned out to entities in China. I still don't understand how money washes in here. It gets transferred into Hong Kong dollars. Somehow then it gets uh, it borrowed and, and, and uh, changed into renminbi. But that renminbi cannot be directly loaned to entities in China can it? Because it is CNH instead of CNY. So how does all this money get into China from Hong Kong? Uh, good question. Frankly, I don't know the answer to this. It does seem to happen. There does seem to be a pretty porous border for, for the purpose. Um, businessmen in Hong Kong and in China, uh, and sometimes they are the same, uh, seem to be very capable of, of ensuring that they have assets, money available to them where they need it. And that's important. It seems to me that there is no good explanation for why Hong Kong, uh, the market has stumbled for the last three or four years, other than uh, worries about a crisis in China. Because if you think about it, a lot of our companies, uh, you know, they are global now. They should be participating like some of the good companies in Europe and the good companies in the States. Yet we languish down here around 21,000, you know, a third down from our peaks uh, before. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with the sentiment. But I think the, the, the logical answer I have for it is that, certainly as far as the Hang Seng Index is concerned, uh, a very significant part of the index is now represented by China companies because they're what are listed in Hong Kong and uh, and they are among the largest companies in the listing. That's why they're in the index. So you think they're crummy com com companies? I don't think they're crummy companies. I just think that they're reflecting what's going on in their main board listing, which is Shanghai, which has been very flat or, or negative for most of the last three or four years. What I think, if you look more carefully at some of the more local companies in Hong Kong, the ones that are less dependent on perhaps China uh, for, for their uh, revenues, for their business, they're doing pretty well. They're doing, uh, some of them are doing extremely well. But they are also a reflection of the fact that the European economies were doing pretty badly up until quite recently, and they are slow in their recovery from, from that position. All right. Now, we've seen uh, markets uh, stumble a little bit at the beginning of the year, and, uh, and now we seem like we may have crossed the correction. Let me first do this. So should retail investors uh, 
embrace that kind of thinking. We don't get fooled again and <laughs> stay wary of markets, or should they be piling back in? Well, Pete Townsend, who you just played, has, um, has uh, obviously got some insight that others don't have. I guess that the market is um, always going to be volatile. And, and from an investor perspective, I, I, one of the greatest things that I've always done is to make a regular investment into markets. So you, you don't just pour all your money in at one go, take it out, pour it in again, take it out. You've got to keep keep with it, and, and, and that's the best way to accumulate. Sort of dollar cost averaging. Absolutely. You said it. Okay, so just a final question. I saw you quoted in the newspaper the other day about cross-border fund flows. Yes. Uh, are we getting close uh, to more formal agreements on – Chinese investors buying Hong Kong stocks and Hong Kong investors buying directly into A shares. Yes, uh, we're getting close. Both sides, both the regulators in Hong Kong and in China have said they are nearly ready. They've done all they have to do. They've got a few um, I's to dot, T's to cross, uh, administrative issues to get ready, but they are more or less there. Um, don't expect an announcement tomorrow which then enables money to pass across the borders the day after, but it will be something that will take probably three or four months after the final announcement okay. to get money moving. All right, Stuart, thanks for joining us here. Thank you, Brian. Stuart Aldcroft, City Investors Services, Money for Nothing, 24 minutes now after 8 o'clock. Well, yesterday I caught up with Enzio von Feil, founder of MCL Partners, in the lobby of the Mandarin Hotel. Now, you've had of late um, Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein saying that emerging markets can withstand an investor retreat better than in 98. They're just better off now. And Mark Mobius, who was a little bit gloomy, now says the route is approaching an end. I asked Enzio for his outlook. Uh, we met up in the uh, Mandarin Hotel. I asked him for his outlook at the moment. I think that the emerging markets on a six-month view will outperform for the very simple reason that I think that the global economic time is improving and that means that the commodities outlook will improve and that will take emerging markets with it. Besides which, the developed markets, in particular the U.S., will have, been, have become so expensive by then that people will start banging that cheap valuation drum with emerging markets. So I'm particularly keen on China and on the Asians. So you don't think that tapering generally means that funding will be uh, pulled back from the emerging markets and uh, from some uh, countries outside the United States uh, and that funds in the process of going back to the States will cause a disruption? I think they have already. I think a lot was discounted. I think that markets are very rigged by banks, and I think that this has been part of that rigging process. Now the banks are beginning to build long positions in emerging markets. I also think that you'll find um, that the effect of, the, of this tapering becomes less and less. It's what we call the marginal utility in economics, that the first drink is great, the second one is still great, the third one isn't so great anymore, and the 20th drink isn't great at all. And that's the same thing with tapering. But steady as she goes has to be the mantra of Janet Yellen. Does that mean that you think that uh, quantitative easing, uh, while it may have been successful in the beginning and staving off the crisis, that in some of the later iterations, it hasn't really done as much as it could have? Exactly, because if you look at the markets really since October of 2012, they've gone up, up and away very strongly despite all of these corrections. So it's a zigzag on the way up. And with corporate earnings now being tagged at 25 years, 25% 
um, higher than they were a year ago, 9.8% versus 7.6%. I think that um, it looks, it's beginning to look sort of quite positive on that front. One of the byproducts of uh, quantitative easing has been that funds have flowed into a lot of emerging markets. Uh, one of the problems that people are addressing now is is uh, the debt situation in China. Does that, uh, to you, does that metastasize into some sort of major problem, or do you think it's in the process of being managed by the authorities? China's debt-to-GDP ratio is actually quite low, and it's importantly, it's very much an internal debt like Japan's. It's not an external debt. So the fear, if there were one, that the foreigner is going to pull the plug just isn't there. The second point, though, that I would raise is what I am very nervous about, along with many others, is the shadow banking system. The China Development Bank just yesterday told the international banks to stop lending as much into China. They know something we don't. It's not looking good. When you say it's not looking good, uh, do you think that, um, you know, as you said, the contagion may not be there, but is there the possibility for a more severe internal crisis that in some ways may feed out from there? Yes, because what you're going to find, it was this recent trust business where they decided that they would still keep the trust going. But I think it was golden number one or something like that. And But what I do think is that at some point, like in Europe, current actions there, they're going to have to start letting some of these banks go to the wall, and that's going to cause a lot of ructions. So it's more, as you say, it's an internal, it's an implosion, not an explosion. And are we in Hong Kong, um, are we included in that internal uh, picture, or are we isolated somewhat? Are we in some way protected because we're outside of China? No, I think that we're very vulnerable because of the local banks here have lent a lot. They have a lot of credit lines into Chinese companies and you just need a few of these things going bust and then the whole interbank market here starts going cuckoo. So I think that we in Hong Kong are not um, protected from this and that's why I'm very, very nervous about clients going into banking stocks, whether here or in Europe. So what are you advising clients at the moment to do? We think that it's probably best that clients go with the consumer cyclicals, begin loading up on commodities, because my view is that that's where things will happen. I also believe that the Chinese consumer cyclicals, trading, world trade plays, things of this nature will do well, but not the finance sector. Interesting, because commodities are a little bit of a contrarian call. They've been weak for more than 12 months now. Um, do you see that the commodities will do well because there's a pickup in China or is it more of a global increase in growth that somehow drags commodities up? The answer is yes. In other words, both. both. There will be some st that China will slow down less than people think because there's a very strong political imperative to get the thing moving again. On top of which, the global growth forecast, even the IF, IMF with its 2020 hindsight, has come out now finally saying that global growth will be stronger than what they originally had forecast. So I think it's that. And thirdly, also, just the argument, the favorite argument, if nothing else works, commodities are cheap. You know, my main takeaway from that was uh, don't use a word like metastasize after two glasses of red. We built this city. Enzio von File there, the founder of MCL Partners, uh, 
And I caught up with him, uh, as I mentioned, yesterday afternoon before the testimony of Janet Yellen. Nikkei up 95 points, two-thirds of a percent. Markets all higher here in Asia. Australia up half a percent. And in uh, Seoul, the Gospi up about a quarter of a percent. Weather today, cloudy with some rain patches. Uh, very cold in the morning. Maximum temperatures just around 11, uh, 12 degrees today. The outlook uh, it will stay cold and cloudy for the rest of this week. The temperatures between day and night, really not too much of a change, right around 10, 11, 12 degrees. And thank you very much for listening to today's edition of Money for Nothing. The news now with Etienne Lamy-Smith. Hundreds of civilians remain trapped in the besieged Syrian city of Homs after attempts to get them out and aid in failed. The UN said this was due to, to a technical issue after negotiations overran. There's also been no progress at the Syrian peace talks in Geneva, and there's been particular concern about the fate of hundreds of men detained in Homs by the Syrian authorities. A spokeswoman for the UN's refugee agency, Melissa Fleming, said it was keeping an eye on them. Some of them have moved on uh, following their screening uh, to a suburb outside of homes and we're um, following up with them and providing them with the with much more assistance they're all in pretty bad shape we're able to um, track them we're able to speak to them we're able to help them Um, just like all the other evacuees uh, many have said that they've come out because they're hungry Uh, others have said that they didn't want to be separated from their wives from their children The new chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, has signaled that the bank will take further steps to reduce its stimulus program if the economy continues to improve and that the recovery